Actually, there's some things to think about here. And I'm curious, as, as kind of give you some introductory remarks uh, of your take on this. When you read this, what do you think of? Um, notice um, you have this at the end of chapter 2. And remember that the chapters and the verses are not divinely inspired. And, and so uh, this isn't necessarily a new section here, although he kind of starts off with this, and this really is a poem, is what, what we're reading here. It's really a poem. But, it, but it's tied on to what he says that, nothing, you know, back to verse 24 of chapter 2, nothing is better for a man than he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. And who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I, right? Which would make sense because he had everything at his disposal. For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight, but to the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. And also, uh, is this also is vanity and grasping for the wind. And it goes on to everything there is a season. Now, I'm, I'm still, I find it interesting because there's a... Not a lot of commentators, but enough of them. They 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 still. It, 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 it's as if they really they still have a real negative perspective on what's written here, which I don't I don't I don't understand it, you know. And you had one of the commentators said, "Well, you'd only have God even mention the first eight verses of chapter three, and." but he's responding to what he just wrote of which I just read to you in chapter 2. And, you know, let's, again, let's not forget that this is divinely inspired. If it is inspired, and if it's not, it doesn't belong here, but if it is inspired, among other things, considered an invitation for you to give it thought. There's a lot of poetry in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. Much of the Psalms are, is poetry. Uh, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes here. Isaiah has several areas of poetry that are given to us. Song of Solomon is really just one huge poetic story. Um, there's even a few in 1 Samuel. So, and a few in the book of Genesis, uh, actually all of Torah, there's a few little sections of poetry. So the fact that God is not mentioned here uh, does not bother me. Um, to everything, there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Now, who lives in heaven? Okay, God, all right? And... You know, in heaven, just really this representation of the, of the sky, who is, you know, and the, the sky above us and the earth and everything under heaven. And so who created all this? God created all this. So really, all of this really is a reference to God. I, I, think, um, I think some of the commentators are just getting nitpicky, personally. Um, because I, I, I think this is, this is really good 
literature for us to really give some thought to, which I'm curious to hear some of your thoughts that we'll kind of talk about later um, or now. Well, he was, he was what, the commentators that I was reading on this, Cindy, were, were saying that verses 1 through 8 of chapter 3, God was not mentioned. And, and, I'm, and I'm thinking, uh, that, you know, and I, uh, why? Why, why? Why is that even an issue here? No, that's, it's good that you read ahead, and I, I like that. And part of what I was going to say is, you know, I want to hear your perspective on it, e- even, even if, I, if we don't agree, and I'm okay with that as well. Um, because I see your point, and I understand what you're saying. This idea of everything under heaven, right now, in our life today, that's what we have. That's, this is where we live, right? Now, do we have a hope that we hang on to? Yes, and I think, I think um, um, where is it that Mary read verse 11? Uh, the New King James says, He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has put eternity in our hearts. So that, that's the beckoning towards something beyond, and that's what you were talking about. Um, and and, and I, would, I would agree with you in that respect, but I also, and this is just a difference in perspective. To me, I, I, and I'm not saying you do this, but I'm, so I'm, I'm just saying this to make a point, because I know a few guys, people, who I think do this, and that is, they, they act like they're just grinning and bearing all of life before they get to heaven. And I, I don't think that that's what the Lord has for us in our walk with him here on earth. Um, so, I would see this as now, other commentators said this is really strong on the sovereignty of God. No, I kind of I like what you're saying, and um, this is called midrash. So hopefully, let's see, we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Hopefully, with the eleven of us, we'll end up with thirteen different opinions by the time we're through. Right? That's the midrash. What's that? I am partly. Cindy, hit him, will you? <laughs> no, I wish your sister was sitting there, because she would. Uh, um, so, so, yeah, verses 1 through 8 is, is, is almost universal, isn't it? Um, you, could, you could make a, a real case that, and this is typical Hebrew poetry, where you have this comprehensive pairing of, Alternate concepts. You see that quite a bit. And, and what's interesting is, did not God design the universe also in that fashion? 
You have day, night, light, dark, hot, cold. So you have, you have the orbits of the planets, the gravitational pull, the polarities, the plus and minus poles of the, of the, of the, the magnetic poles, right? Um, yeah. Um, so it's, this is kind of what's weird because, again, a lot of commentators, they hammered on, and you kind of touched on it by saying that God defined time. And, and he, he's sovereign, but is, but is his sovereignty, I'm going to get in trouble. I shouldn't ask this question. Is his sovereignty such that he ordains each and every moment? Or is it just these are the times that we experience because of God's sovereign creation and establishment of the world in the way that it is? And does God's sovereignty cut through a fallen world? <laughs> and, and so these are hard things to really consider. Um, the ways of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord, Proverbs tells us. That's why I read the Proverbs, Right? And he's answering some of these questions that I'm asking in the Proverbs. And, and so, to me, I really have a hard time differentiating between free will and God's sovereignty. I know that there is a differentiation, but that, that differentiation, to me, is above my pay grade. And there have been many people who have attempted to try to reconcile them. I don't think they're reconcilable. Personally, I don't think they are. I'm never, I'm never happy with anyone's great, long, verbose explanation of how they are going to, to reconcile God's sovereignty with our free will. But I know that the Bible teaches both, does it not? Is it God's will for you to go visit your mom in October, or is it your free will? Okay, it's your free will, according to you, but. And perhaps he planted the desire in, in, the, in our heart. Sometimes I think I, in your heart, and he might have. Um, I know that I can really trust God's sovereignty a lot more than I can man's sovereignty. Right? So what's interesting about this verse, verse 1, to everything there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Um, the grammar, and I'm not good at Hebrew grammar, so I've got to, I'm at the mercy of who I'm reading. Uh, really, it's indicating specific points of time. Specific points of time as opposed to durations of time. Do you understand the difference? rather than going through a long season, like a long season of drought, for example, rather than getting a downpour of rain in, let's say, an afternoon. So it's, it's mainly talking more about specific points of time. Um, and 
the thing is, is what I, okay, how I looked at this is I think that, that God here is validating everything that we as humans experience. Did you ever think of that? That he's saying, yes, you are going to be born. Yes, you are going to die. Yes, it's a time to break down. Yes, it's time to build up. It's a time to weep, a time to laugh, time to mourn, time to dance. Um, and, and, and so what's interesting about these, there's 14 of them, right? Four, there's, there's 14 comparisons, which is twice the number of what? Seven, which in the Bible, in the Bible, the number seven is what? It's the number for what? Completion or perfection. So there, there's something there to think about. That, that there's, there's, it's like we have a complete list times two that's given to us here um, by Solomon. Um, so... It's almost as if we really need to accept that we're mortal and that we are governed by time to a degree. In fact, one commentator referred to time the, the tyrant. And I stopped reading because I just, I, 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 I think these are inescapable realities of our life. Um, and, and that we, so, so we're governed by time, like you said, like you said, right? And, and so there's that old saying, you can't fight city hall, right? You remember that one? Okay. Um, by the way, did you look up that song? You never did, did you? That's all right. Maybe we'll have Tim sing it for you after we're done here tonight. But anyway, um, the bird song. Uh, the song by the birds with the Y. Um, it is a Y. I think it's a Y. Anyway. Um, okay. So th- this isn't this isn't probably so much the scholarly theological observation added, as it is the poetic observation of human life in a human world. Equally as true. Actually, I prefer reading this than some of the, some of the stuff that I had to read. Uh, just dry, just dry. And there, certain theologians, everybody claims that they love them and they they read them. And I'm like, I don't think that I read the books, and I'm thinking, I don't think the guy even understood himself, and I let alone anybody else, because he makes absolutely no sense to me. Um, but then, when we look at verse two. So I'm going to kind of run through these eight verses real quick. Um, uh, where it says a time to be born. In the Hebrew, that really could mean a, a time to give birth. So uh, really the idea is still is the same idea. Um, but a time to be born, a time to die. or, or uh, But planting, there's a couplet here. A couplet is a coming together. Planting and giving birth, aren't they similar similar things, right? Time to die, time to pluck up what is killed. When you pluck up something that has been growing, what happens to that plant? It dies. 
and then it ends up on the dinner table, and it's called lettuce, salad, right? Whatever the case, okay? So you, you have these, these little couplet that, that he's putting together here, um, and, and then a time to uh, kill and a time to heal. What do you think about a time to kill? Especially with four veterans in the room. Could be an animal, not just a person. War. War. Which Jesus kind of spoke about earlier chapters in Matthew. And because we live in a fallen world, um, there are wars. Where was the first war, by the way? Depends on your theology. It might have been in heaven. Depending on how you want to read the book of Revelation. Yeah. It might have been in heaven. So, although Genesis doesn't really clue us in, it starts in the garden. Actually, it doesn't start in the garden. Where does it start? Where does Genesis start? Come on, you guys know this. Where does Genesis start? In the beginning. In other words, prior to time beginning. Yeah, before time begins. It's the same concept as John chapter 1, verse 1. Um, And so then you have... um, Time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up. And um, I used to do demos when I was in work for a company and just would demo. Demos are fun, uh, or at least they can be. You know, and, and have to, you know, demo out a countertop or demo out a whole kitchen. And, you know, you go in there with a sledgehammer and put on a mask and just go to town. Um, Well, that would be a little bit more of a permanent type of demo now, wouldn't it? Yeah, demolition, underwater demolition, yeah. Um, That would definitely be breaking down. But then again, you did a lot of building up. I think about some of the the, uh, stories that Bill has told me. He did a lot of tearing down, but he also did a lot of repair work, a lot of building up. So, which... um, We'll take that. We'll go with Jeff's analogy for fun. Is that okay? Yeah. Uh, Relationships are that way. Um, So then a a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. And what you do is is you're having this little bit of a progression of the intensity that's being described here. But both sorrow and joy are a part of life. Um, and one person wrote this. I thought this was interesting. i like to hear your thoughts. Without one, okay, joy and sorrow. Without one, the other is unrecognizable. Is that true? So we need this type of opposite to recognize the other. Okay, Ken. They are. 
So let me throw you the curveball that I don't have an answer for. Because I tend to agree with where you guys are at on this. But I was thinking about this this morning because I was reading Genesis. What about the fall? What about before the fall? Before the fall of humanity. Before Adam uh, partook of... Yes. So he walked with God. Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. When they partook of the fruit, then God shows up. What did Adam and Eve do? Why? Why? What did God ask them? Who told you you were naked? In other words, they had a contrast. Prior to the fall, prior to the sin of Adam and Eve, was there a contrast? Did they... The day that you eat of this fruit, you will be as God by knowing good and evil. Before then, did they know evil? At least not experientially. They knew that eating the fruit was evil. Why? Because God said, don't eat it. And they knew that if they did eat it, that would be disobedience. So there's still a bit of a contrast here. But what this tells me, the necessity of the contrast, good, evil, love, hate, build, unbuild, demolition, fix. I had to say that for you, Bill. Um, the necessity of the contrast might be, might and my GHT might be due to the fall. <laughs> Something to think about. I don't have an answer, but it, it struck me as I was reading Genesis that before, before they sinned, they knew only good. Is death good? No. I don't think death is good, personally. The last enemy that will be defeated, according to 1 Corinthians 15, is what? Death. So, did they know good? Um, I want to say, for no other reason than to bolster my argument, I would say yes. Uh, because they walked with God in the cool of the day. Because they had fellowship with God. Okay, I'm finally digging myself out of that hole that, that Bill <laughs> threw me into. Because they walked with God, they knew God, they had fellowship with God. And everything that after, if you read the Genesis account, you know, God created it and he saw it and it was what? Good. So they're, they're dwelling in the goodness of God. So what you're asking is did they have a moral definition of... Um, Because they thought it was something better. They thought God was holding out on them. What? They knew. The, the Greek word prognosko means to know, have knowledge, by experience. So there are different levels of 
understanding, knowledge, right? So did they have a moralistic type of understanding that I'm living in the goodness of God? I don't know. They sure did experience it. And I think it's really hard for us who have known nothing but a fallen world to really say with the utmost surety that they knew morally, because that's really what you're asking, I think. That's how I'm interpreting it. Don't, 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 don't plead the fifth on me now, Bill. Uh, <laughs> they were. They said, don't do it. So, see, I'm exercising my free will right now. You know, I feel sorry for anybody who's going to try to listen to this later who wasn't sitting here tonight because they won't be able to make heads or tail of this. Uh, but did that at least address somewhat? I probably, I, I don't think I convinced you of anything. Um, is, were they aware of goodness? Now I, now, I say again, that has to take us to an understanding of morality. I don't know if you would agree with that or not. Bill, okay, Bill does agree with that, okay. So, but to, okay, so to understand morally good, there's the contrast that's probably still needed. Oh, this is getting fun. So they might not have understood morally. They might have just understood experientially, which was because they were in a place of sinless perfection, it was all they needed Thanks for that. I had to really work through. Okay, I think I think that would be that would make the most sense. Yeah, they walked with God, so they 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 knew nothing else. Of course, a thought just occurred to me: what in the world was Satan doing in the garden anyway? But I don't know if I want to go down that rabbit trail of nothing but speculation. Okay, where was we? Was that? They learned about him quickly. They sure did. Yes. Um, okay, well, that was fun. Uh, now, that was, there was a few different opinions going on there. So, uh, Ken, I don't know if you, you, if you were, had just come in or not, but we're doing a midrash, right? Which is, you know, no, you were here because there's 11 of us, so we end up with 13 different opinions tonight. So we're working on it. All right. You're good with that? You're good with it. Yeah. yeah. It's good to have you back, though. No, you, Gary. <laughs> I know, because it's like, yeah, you guys are like right there. All right. Like I said, this is going to be horrible. Like, I always edit Wednesday nights. And the thing is, I'm trying not to respond to some of you when you're talking, because all of a sudden it'll be like a, a, a flat line, then all of a sudden a little blip. I'm like, you'll get like, uh-huh, yeah. You know, and so I got to edit all those anyway. Um, but I won't go there. Okay, <laughs> anyway, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. Um, the interesting thing about this, I'll just throw out there for your, for your thought. One of the Jewish midrashes talked about this as referring to a sexual union. Yes. 
That's the, that's how they came up with it. So I'm just, I got everybody's attention, boy. Yeah. That's okay. Um, anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting, and it was like, you know, but again, they're, they're, they're speaking metaphorically. And it's important to understand that. Well, I think the worst thing that we have done as moderns, and, and some of these guys, I just want to take them out and shoot them, is they're trying to teach Song of Solomon as a sex manual. It's not a sex manual. It's, it's a complete allegory of the love of Christ and his people. That's what it's really all about. And the love of God for his, for his people. And so it, it's, it's written and given to us in that type of terminology, but even though that is what it's describing, that is not what it is. And at least that's what, how the Jews would look at it. Um, so there are other possibilities on this, okay? Uh, the idea of casting stones to clear a field. Now, we're going to tie that into the relationship thing, right, Jeff? Right, casting off stones to clear a field, to kind of clear everything out so that you can plow and then plant, right? Uh, And so you're casting stones or you're even gathering them. Um, You know what's weird is in New England, it's not weird. um, In New England, they have these stone fences. I don't know if you've ever been there. And uh, some of those fences are, they've been there for 150. 200 years, you know, the boundary lines, and they, they just stack stones, and those are, those are the gathering of stones, uh, and that's their fences. Um, so, and then verse 6, uh, a time to gain, a time to lose. So, nothing in this world is forever, or nothing in this world is ours forever. You know, is, every once in a while I'll talk to, to somebody, usually a guy, and he'll talk about his 60s muscle car that he wished he still had. I wish I had had a 60s muscle car that I could have said I wish I still had. Of course, I probably would have gotten in all kinds of trouble. Anyway, um, but nothing in, our, in, the world, in the world is ours forever. So there's a time to gain, a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to throw away. Um, and then a time to tear, a time to sow, um, time to keep silent. A time to keep silent. I like that one. Um, some people don't. And a time to speak. And I think sometimes in, in dealing with folks, that's, to me, a, the challenge. Because sometimes they're looking at you for an answer. And sometimes you don't have one. Sometimes you don't have one. And it's better to not make one up. So time to ask questions is the time not, yeah. So, um, so I, I find that to be fascinating. There, and, and really, the, really the, the idea of tearing and sowing. Um, I thought of the veil in the temple. Where the veil of the temple was torn in two. And that's a, a veil that was not intended to be re-sown. But on a spiritual level, I think people try to re-sew that veil all the time. You know, and, and so, um, 
again, there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of pick through this and, and, and give some thought to this. Uh, a time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, a time of peace. And um, war is the reality. Um, I remember when Vietnam ended and the pastor of our church had everybody that was under the age, certain age, stand. And he said, congratulations, this is the first time in your lifetime that your country has been at peace. And I just went, wow, as I'm looking around, you know. Um, I was one of the older ones in that. You know, I think it was like 17 and below. Um, but that, that's part of the, the nature of the fallen world. And again, this is everything that is under heaven. But um, notice it's under heaven. And so... Um, it does speak of God's sovereignty. What, what prophet has a worker from that which he labors? I have seen the God-given tasks with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. Boy, a lot of people want to think they do, though. Nobody can... Uh, find out the work that God does from beginning to end. So it, it's, it's a few observations. And I have to be quick because I've got six minutes and I don't want to hear the whistle. Uh, <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, One of the things I thought of is when I was reading this, and I've got several verses here that we won't take the time and won't have the time to look at. But Psalm 90, verses 12, it says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So I got three observations. That's all I got out of this, all right? Um, First of all, life is beyond our control. Life is beyond our control. Now, one of the other commentators <laughs> that I disagree with talked about the oppression of time and the oppression of life. And I'm like, I'm glad I never went to your church. Because um, to me, that's, just, that's, that's really negative because verse 11 says what? In the, at least in the New King James, I know the NAS, NASB says something a little different. I'm going to have you read it for us in a second, Mary, just the first line. But it says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Your NASB has? He has made everything appropriate in its time. Appropriate. ESV. Okay, NIV. King James. Anybody have anything else? Okay. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting uh, that the NASB sticks out to be a little different on that. But if things are appropriate, things are beautiful, and if we are, if we are we're going to go back to not knowing the morality of good, anything, if you were in a perfect state, right, anything that would be appropriate would also really be beautiful. And, and so life is beyond our control, which I find fascinating. What can you control in your life besides your thermostat? 
and maybe that's debatable. The choices you make, yeah. Either internally, externally, or both. So we're, we're kind of along for the ride. What's that? With the earth itself, yeah, yeah, that's what I thought you were saying. Um, so we're kind of along for the ride as long as we're here. So it seems. Any other thoughts? Depends on how much uh, Star, not Star Trek you watched. Um, time, well, if you've read quantum physics, which I, I was asked a question on quantum physics in my dissertation, Oral Defense, which had absolutely nothing to do with my dissertation, and I wanted to reach for the screen and strangle the person who asked me that question. But, so I just talked over her head. Um, it didn't work. Anyway, I don't, uh, quantum physics would tell you that, that there, there is a relativity even in time. I don't know a whole lot about quantum physics. I'm, I'm not a physics person. I'm more of a the poet person in history and stuff like that, the humanities. So, um, yeah, that would be something that I would have to dig more deeper in that maybe you could look into. But, I, you know, that, again, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of focused on we're, on we're we're on board for the ride. But remember, let's go back to the Hebrew. Verse 1, it's talking about a, a specific incident, section of time, rather than a prolonged season of time. So I don't know if that helps or not, or unless you want to add to what you just asked. Somehow I have a feeling he's just like, whatever, Mike. Um, anybody else? Second observation. I'm going to take a few minutes if that's okay. Okay. There's really no permanence to anything we pursue in life. Agree, disagree. Of course, there's permanence on a relationship with God. We understand that. Okay? That's a given. All right? I'm not slipping off the heresy wagon here. Okay? Um, but anything that we pursue, there's no permanence. Your cars, your houses, your bodies, yes. There's no permanence in anything that we pursue. You find yourself on one end of the of this spectrum of these 14 things that are listed and then on the other. Or somewhere in the middle. But you know both because of the contrast. Right, Bill? <laughs> Any other thoughts on that? Okay. Thirdly, and this I get from verse 11 and 12 and 13 and 14, actually. Well, we could probably throw that in. Okay, there is a pattern 
There is a purpose and there is a plan that's unfolding in our life that we are unable to see. Plan, purpose, excuse me, pattern, purpose, and plan. Sometimes we can see the pattern. Who was it who said those who condemn the past are those who forget the past? I think it was Santayana. Those who forget the past are condemned to repeat it. I referred to that. I, I referred to this when we were in the first chapter. I think, I think there's some truth to that. But there, there's patterns that we don't always acknowledge. There's purposes of God that we can't see. There's a plan of God. I think part of the reason why we, we don't understand the plan of God is we don't recognize that each and every moment of our life is part of God's plan. Which takes us back to what, Pat? Sovereignty. So, but we're not able to see it. And sometimes I think maybe that's God's grace. That we're not able to see the plan completely, the pattern, the purpose. Because if it's not God's grace internally, God being gracious to you that you do not see the purpose, plan, or pattern in your own life internally. It is definitely God's grace if you're dealing with someone who's a control freak who wants to deal with the purpose, pattern, and plan and wants to know everything that's going on and everything has to fit. and You know, uh, things don't. And, and now that... That doesn't mean we don't try, all right? Okay, I don't think I, I don't think it means we just we don't try, but I I think it means that we don't we don't lose it when all of that stuff starts to fall apart because we can come back to this these eight verses, seven verses if you want, and read them and realize that there is a time for all of these things. And, and then to trust in, see, there's an incredible amount of hope in this, this passage because God has made everything beautiful or appropriate in this time, and he has put eternity in our hearts. So there is this longing for something greater than what we currently experience. And that's where I think, uh, uh, Cindy, I didn't mention, this just came to my mind, the separation, the distinction that you were talking about earlier. Um, that, yeah, we live this way, but guess what? God has put eternity in our, in our hearts. So in some respects, going back to <laughs> what Bill was saying, asking and saying earlier, uh, with his sidekick, Don, um, We, in some regards, we have been given not more, but maybe a little bit different revelation, a different angle, uh, a different side of the diamond. The diamond is multifaceted, right? A different perspective of what God is doing because we've been given this compared to Adam and Eve. It went from perfection to not perfection. 
And what, a, what an incredible shock that must have been. And they had no therapist to go to, right? So, I mean, really, when you think about the fall and what they dealt with, um, but God's put eternity in our hearts. And accept that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Why not? It would be the fall 2.0. Yep. Hmm. It might. Yeah, I didn't consider that angle, but you're right, it might. Or we would take our free will on steroids. You know, and, th- and, and thinking, okay, I'm going to figure out what God is doing from beginning to end. Because the, the thing is, is I think, I think part of our relationship with God, I'm going to go way over, okay, but I'm almost done, all right? I think part of our relationship with God is framed around dependency on him. And I think part of that we have to fight to remain dependent on him. Because we, we, we don't want to be. Right? Most, most people don't really want to be dependent. They don't want to be submitted. Another word for dependency is submission. That's where Eve fell. Because <coughs> she wanted no beginning to end. So you're, I think you're looking at this from the more of the positive perspective. Right, and I'm kind of looking at it from the negative perspective, you know, half full, half empty, actually. But yeah, I think God puts eternity in our hearts, and then causes us to continue to long for Him. And and what was it that somebody said one time? Has it come down that all we have left is to trust God? You know, as we go and we try to we try to try to make it all work and it doesn't happen, have we, we finally nothing else we can do but just simply abandon our efforts and just trust God, who knows the beginning from the end. Thank God somebody around here does, right? Or else we'd be in well, it would be impossible for us to be in hot water in that regard, but just to entrust that to God. But knowing the limitations, we always need that separation between us and God to some degree. Even though Peter says, boy, I could go on for another three minutes, I'm going to be quiet. Even though Peter says that we have the divine nature. But that's for free. I'll let you work out that curveball as well. First, I think it's First Peter.